in this book on God's wisdom for us as his people. Proverbs 1, verses 8 through 19. Listen now to God's word. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they, are, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find, we shall find all Precious goods, we shall find, we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us, we will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Right after the preamble of verses 1 through 7 that we considered last week, which is really an introduction to at least the first nine chapters, but really an introduction to the whole book of Proverbs we then hear one appeal after another through the first nine chapters, laying down this foundation and this path, calling for hearers from this wise sage to consider following the path of wisdom. And we've come to this first appeal. It's marked off by those words, my son, listen. We see that through the first nine chapters. It comes here in verse 8. Here, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Don't forsake your mother's teaching. What is, to me, very surprising in this first appeal is that of all the things you could address regarding wisdom and following the path of wisdom, the wise sage here focuses on the matter of peer pressure. Peer pressure. Particularly, it is a warning about bad peer pressure. And that comes to us very clearly in verse 10. My son, if sinners, that is, if the godless entice you, do not consent. The question is raised. What happens when others begin to seek to draw us away from God's path, from God's will, from God's ways? However overt it might be, however subtle that enticement or that pressure might be, that's the question to ask. Uh, the American filmmaker uh, Cecil B. DeMille, at the end of a speech that he was giving to a group of uh, directors, he said this, Gentlemen, these are my principles, but if you do not like them, I do have other ones. Now, we might chuckle, laugh at that kind of cynicism, but when we're honest with ourselves, we do, all of us, care what others think, what they think of us our principles, our convictions. Uh, we do mind whether others agree with us or disagree with us. 
We value our beliefs. We value our convictions. Therefore, it's natural for us to value whether others share those similar convictions, that similar, perhaps, worldview. We mind what others think of us. We're aware of that. For example, I'm fairly aware of uh, you right now, at least I think I am, and that your general desire and preference is for me to simply expound on this text of Scripture. The fact that I know that makes it a hundred times easier to pursue it together. But what happens when you're in an environment where those around you may be questioning what you say or what you think, what your position is? That happens to all of us. In my life, one of the occasions where that has happened from time to time are at certain funerals where perhaps some of the extended family or even immediate family may not be Christian or religious really at all, and they would rather not have you say much at all about the Word of God or the gospel of Jesus Christ. The presence of others, what they think and what they believe, whether they're open to your views or opposed to your views, can have a significant influence on us as God's people. And that begins right at childhood. Perhaps out on the playground, a group of kids join together. And some of those are your friends. And uh, they begin to pick on one particular young person. The bullying begins. The name-calling begins. And your friends are calling you over to join in. What will you do? Will you stand idly by? Will you intercede, potentially risk friendships? Will you simply join in the gang and kind of go with the flow? peer pressure, but it continues right into adulthood. Probably all of us have found ourselves among a group of people in the last year, if not the last week, and the conversation turns to a highly emotional, potentially contentious subject, race and equality, politics, elections, the pandemic, governmental authority. And you realize that as the conversation is unfolding, everyone seems to be on the same page, except you. Do you speak up? Do you remain silent? What do you do? In varying degrees, we all face the pressure that can come from other voices, peers, the messages that we're constantly hearing throughout society. You see, Proverbs is keenly aware right at the outset of two very important facts. We see both of them in these opening verses here, this opening appeal. One of those facts is that God did not create us as people, as solitary people. We're not islands unto ourselves, unmoved or unaffected by the voices of others. We might think we are, but we're not. God knows this. God has made us social creatures, gregarious We may not feel gregarious, we may not feel social, but notice where we are even here this morning. We're in a social context, public worship, gathered corporately, hearing words. We are by nature sociable creatures. And in God's wisdom, he knows we are influenced significantly by others. That's the first thing. The second thing is that there are many voices vying for our attention and our heart. A lot of words are spoken, a lot of messages are heard every day. 
In 2007, a study was conducted in the scientific journal called Science, concluding that the average man and woman speaks between 15 and 20,000 words a day. We speak a lot of words. We also hear a lot of words and a lot of messages coming at us. And if verses 1 through 7 of this opening chapter are about wisdom and understanding, verses 8 through 19 are about gaining wisdom and understanding by paying close attention to the words that we hear. And not only the words we hear, but the people who are speaking them and the outcomes of their life. So notice, first of all, who is speaking in verses 8 and 9. We might call this uh, the, the, the refuge of home. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Where's the author bringing us? He's bringing us in, inside the home. We're brought into a home here, a godly home. This is the the refuge of home. So God is using this picture of a godly mother, a godly father, giving instruction to their child, to their son, as their their son is preparing to move out into the world, in a way. And uh, the scriptures give us wonderful pictures of godliness at work in the home. One of those places, for sure, is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where the Lord said, In verse 6 of Deuteronomy 6, These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And whether or not we've been reared by and had the blessing of sitting under godly parents or not, here in Proverbs 1, we are coming to godly, a godly mother and a godly father. This is really the 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 fatherly instruction of of God. This is the wisdom of God calling us to to heed and to hear these words. But the focus is not just on the instruction that is given. It's on what that instruction produces in the son's life, in in a person's life. It's a wonderful picture. Verse 9 is what it produces. It will be a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Well, what is the it? It is the wisdom and the instruction itself. This in your life will become and produce for you a graceful garland for your head, pendants for your neck. And uh, perhaps garland, Pendence is not language that we use that much. But it's biblical imagery in which the Lord is saying, if you listen to me and follow this path, my wisdom is going to make you attractive. The proverbial wisdom coming from the mother and father is not, listen to me, this is right. Well, that's true. Sometimes... Parents say that, and that is true. But rather, listen to me. It's going to produce something lovely, beautiful, attractive in your life. And that's part of what Proverbs and this wisdom is after. 
the shaping not only of a righteous and holy people, but a beautiful people. A people whose broken lives are being mended by the beauty of the gospel. It's a wonderful picture. A garland. This is a victor's wreath. In chapter 4, verse 9 of Proverbs, we are told, Wisdom will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. That's what God desires to place upon us, clothing us as particular kinds of people. A pendant. This is a chain around one's neck as a mark of prestige and stature. We might think of an Olympic medal being placed around one's neck. And so one of the points that comes through here is that God has not made his people or his church for mediocrity. He has made his people for glory. We think even of Psalm 8. What is man that you're mindful of him, yet you have crowned him with glory and honor. This might make us a bit uncomfortable. We are called to give God the glory. But God is glorified in adorning his people with his character, his goodness, his wisdom, his grace, his patience, his love. That's part of what's represented here in this garland and pendant. Hear this wisdom, walk in this path. It's going to adorn your life. You're going to be a certain kind of person. Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 7 says, We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. There is glory for the church in the end. But there is an adorning that happens now. We are called in Romans to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, wrapped in his royal robes. This is a picture in part of the very character of Christ, his humility and wisdom and love is becoming ours. Now we might wonder, if this godly wisdom and instruction is so good and attractive and beautiful, why do we, not, why do we need to be reminded not to forsake it? Son, do not forsake this teaching. Well, most of us, if not all of us, know and many, many of us have experienced as we grow up into adolescence and adulthood, becoming our own persons, we often no longer want to heed the wisdom we were once taught. We want to strike out on our own. We want to depart, perhaps, from that safe refuge. Go with our own wisdom. Mark Twain once said, when I was a boy of 14, my, mo- my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. That happens. It's not simply that as we grow up, we, sit, we just grow into maturity. No, it's at, at, the, at the heart, the core of every person is naturally a rebellious spirit. A rebellious heart. Proverbs 28, verse 26 says, He who trusts in himself is a fool. Isn't that at the heart of our culture's message? Trust 
in yourself, your wisdom. You are the captain of your own ship. So our, our God warns about the voices out there. He uses this picture of a godly uh, father and mother, godly parents, warning about the enticements and lure of the world in its various forms. That's what we have in verses 10 through 14. My son, if sinners, if the godless entice you, do not consent. What's striking is how vivid the, the picture is here of this lure, lurement. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent. Let's swallow them alive and whole, bringing them down to the pit. Come on, we'll find precious goods. We'll plunder their houses. Come, throw in your lot with us. Join us. We'll all share one purse. Why at the beginning of a book on wisdom does God warn about participating in the shedding of blood? I mean, who here has ever felt tempted to join a gang or the mob? Do not raise your hand. It, it might seem a bit drastic, the language, doesn't it? Well, for one, we should be reminded of the biblical world and the world still today in which we live. It is full of gangs and rebels, people who will prey on the innocent, who will spill blood for personal gain. Perhaps even more to the point is the wisdom of these parents to know the power of belonging. Not just for young people, for all people. There is a desire to fit in, to belong. It's powerful. We want to be accepted. We want to be a part somewhere. And fear will surface if we don't fit in somewhere. Proverbs 29, verse 25 says, The fear of man lays a snare. Start thinking through the biblical examples in which the fear of man became to them a snare. Among the people of God. Think about Aaron in Exodus chapter 32. The golden calf. The Lord calls Moses up the mountain. And then we're told the people gathered together around Aaron. You can feel, you can sense the pressure there. The people, they're gathering themselves. Let's go to Aaron. Put, put the pressure on. Make us gods that we can worship. I think Aaron must have felt tremendous pressure and caved in. And that from within the community of God. How about the spies in Numbers chapter 13? Sent to go explore the promised land? Come back and they report and say one after another. The people, they're too great. They're too many. The cities are too fortified. Obstacles are too great. Come, essentially come. Let's go, let's go elsewhere. It took a Caleb, it took a Joshua to stand up against the pressure. How about the blind man healed by Jesus in John chapter 9? As a result of that healing, it provoked a lot of opposition from the authorities and the Jewish leaders. And they began to interrogate the blind man made to seize his parents. His parents clearly knew what had happened, that he had been healed, he'd been made to see. It was their own son 
But the parents pass the buck to their son. They say to the authorities, ask him. He's of age. Ask him. And then the text says, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. That they would be thrown out. Anyone who named the name of Christ. One of the greatest reasons for moral compromise and doctrinal compromise is the pressure, the fear of what others will think if we stay true to the Lord Jesus Christ. So godly wisdom calls for courage. This is why we worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fulfillment of Proverbs chapter 1. He resisted those who would say, come with us, let us Lie in wait for blood. Let's ambush the innocent. He's the innocent one. He's the sinless one whose blood was shed for us. Remember Paul writing to Timothy, I think 1 Timothy 6. Timothy, the Christian leader, perhaps like some of us who struggle with timidity or fear of man, Paul says to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command. What is significant about Jesus' confession before Pilate as he spoke to Pilate about who he was and why he came? The significance is not merely that Jesus said the truth about himself, but that he said it under the weight of, of tremendous pressure not to say it. And you know the lure, the false voices of the world come to all of us in different ways. It may come from friends, co-workers, the media, political parties, family members, on and on. But we should beware of those false voices. They often recruit Something to make note of. They often recruit. Come with us. Come with us. We're in the right. Sure, it might crush people in the process, but we're in the right. We have the truth. And it does often crush people in the way. At the root of it is this enticement for greed. Verse 19 in our text. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. Greed for money, greed for power, for position, for control, greed for self-advancement. Many are the false voices saying, come, join us. We'll have precious goods. Sure, the innocent may be crushed, but we will share the plunder. We'll have one purse. I love the wisdom of uh, these godly parents, the wisdom of God. They don't say to their child, Just ignore those voices out there. Pay no attention to them. No, what do they do? They quote them. Listen to what they're saying. The wisdom of these parents understand. Listen to those voices. And listen to where it's leading them. Consider the end to which this goes. That's the wisdom here. The incentive of the end is the final point Verses 15 and following. My son, don't walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. For in vain 
Here's the picture. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who's greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. You see, there's a trap. Godly parents are pointing it out. Even a bird, when seeing a net spread to trap it, is going to flee to protect its life rather than to take the bait. But these fools are out for themselves. Blind. They may gain much in this world, but they're actually forfeiting their souls. They're setting a trap for themselves, unaware. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? See, those greedy for themselves are only considering the end of this life. This life is all there is. Thus, let us get all that we can. But in God's wisdom, his wisdom in Christ says, do not walk in the way with him. Follow me, for my path leads beyond this earthly life to a final destination. Keep that day in mind when all those in Christ will be adorned with beauty and glory uh, like nothing before. Let's pray together. Father, how we give you thanks for the depth of your grace that you would call us to yourself that you would be at work within your people to sanctify us and to adorn us with the gospel of Jesus Christ and his glorious character, that image in which all of us as believers are being conformed. May we know not only his grace and love, but his wisdom. May we, Lord, walk in your ways according to your word. And may we know the wonderful benefits, indeed, the picture of beauty in our own lives, that inward character of godliness. We entrust ourselves to you as you continue to do that work. Lord, give us discernment as we hear those many voices in overt and subtle ways vying for the shaping of our identity. But Lord, may we find ourselves among your people, loved by you, adorned by your gospel. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.